powers. I haven't slept for 44 days straight. Not a wink, not a catnap, not a doze, not a siesta, not a slumber, and not even a little snooze. I, I haven't got insomnia or any other sleep disorder that I know of, and I'm not ill or even slightly stressed. The plain simple fact is, I don't need to sleep. I'd always slept for eight to seven hours a night before it happened. I would go to sleep pretty much between 11 and midnight like clockwork, then wake up between seven and eight in the morning. When I started not to sleep, I wasn't mentally ill. I wasn't drinking heavily, and I'd never taken anything resembling drugs in my life except, of course, the odd aspirin. I worked for London Underground as an asset manager, which basically means I manage a selection of stations, making sure they are clean and not in need of repair. It's a steady job with steady people and a steady salary. I'm not married. I live alone in Ealing with two cats called Moses and Jonah. The first night I didn't sleep, I was slightly worried because I had an asset meeting in the morning with some of the top brass about station upgrades. I lay in my bed past midnight, trying everything I could do to drop off. I went over all the past day's deeds slowly and methodically, hoping that it might dull the brain into sleep. Nothing. I tried to empty my head of all thoughts and go into a serene state, but to no avail. I switched the light on eventually and started to read my book about Stalin. Two pages in, I'm normally dropping off. After reading four whole chapters, I decided to get up, much as the surprise of Moses and Jonah to watch TV. It was now the wrong side of three o'clock and I wasn't getting sleepier. In fact, I was starting to get hungry, so I had a very early breakfast with some very confused cats. Around about five, I was bored and not remotely tired, so I got showered, dressed and went to work. That whole day, I operated as normal with no side effects or hints of drowsiness from the lack of sleep. In actual fact, I felt great. The meeting with a huge success as I had time to prepare mentally in the early hours of the morning. And also I seemed to have more energy. Strangely though, I was ravenous all day and had to keep stuffing my face every two hours or so. But felt sharper than ever than dealing with emails and contractors. I left work around five that day because I was waiting for the come down, expecting a sudden wave of tiredness that could knock me over where I stood. I got home, fed the cats and then sat down on the sofa, turning on the TV. A couple of hours of this I should be sound asleep, I thought, while watching a programme about the migration of Canada geese. After that programme, and a film about Elizabeth I, I was still wide awake. When it got to midnight, I started to panic for the first time since it started. I paced around the bedroom, stopping every short while to feel my pulse to check if I was dying. Pacing turned to jogging on the spot in order to physically exhaust myself into sleep. Then I tried press-ups and sit-ups, but to no avail. I started to pace again, and then thought how after doing more exercise in the last hour than I have in the last five years, my stamina hadn't even been slightly dented. Around three in the morning, I went for a walk and, and tried to calm down. The street I live in is on the main road with some low-rent corner supermarkets and late fast food shops. At this time of night, and it being midweek, the street was empty with minimal traffic. Across the road, on the other side though, were two men in their early twenties dressed in dark, smart casual wear, and I realised very quickly they were watching me. One of the things about living in London is the constant fear of what you think could or might happen to you. 
I've lived here for over 10 years and I've seen maybe one or two fights. The murders and rumours of constant mugging never extended over into my world. I was good at one thing when it came to any potential trouble. And that was having the ability to melt into the background was no level of threat to anybody. I learnt and developed it at school. Slipping into the shadows every time the bullies patrolled. I used that trick now. And without looking directly at them, disappeared into a small road on my left. Quickening my pace without running, I went down the fairly dark road, trying to get my bearings in relation to where I live. I risked a quick glance over my shoulder, and then my heart sped up. The two men had crossed over the road and were heading in my direction, not talking to each other, a foot apart, but heading towards me. I quickened my pace even more. I was lost. I didn't recognise this road. Oi! Mate! One of the men shouted up the road to me. You got the time, mate! The other man yelled. I looked around at the two men who seemed much closer now, shook my head to say no while still walking forward and giving them a feeble sorry gesture with my hands. I could hear them laughing as then one of them continued shouting out, Where are you going? Do you live here, mate? Can we come in for a drink, mate? <laughs> they both laughed as I scanned over the Victorian houses in the gloom, searching for signs of life or even some light. They were within about five metres of me now, and I had a choice. Either run blindly into the darkness and start a chase, or stand my ground, showing no fear, hopefully resulting in them letting me walk back to the main road, unharmed. I chose the latter, because the thought of a chase in an area I, I don't know seemed foolish. I stopped walking, and turned around towards the two men. They both stopped suddenly, on guard. I could see them weighing me up. Wrong street, <laughs> I offered, half joking. I started to walk back around them towards the main road. Instantly, the men blocked my passage with their arms outstretched. They began to make teeth-kissing noises. Hold on, where you going, man? Said the one in the white jogging top. Yeah, we just want to talk to you said the other younger man in jeans and a black top with some sports logo scribbled on it. Um, I need to go home. My wife is waiting for me. I lied. Come on, man. We need to talk to you, the older man said, getting closer to me. Lend us some money, mate, the younger one said while flanking me. Uh, I haven't got anything on me, I replied, moving my vision quickly between the two. Give us your fucking wallet then, said the older man, flashing his teeth and almost growling the words out of his mouth. The younger man pulled something shiny out from his jacket and held it out towards me inches from my face. We're going for a little walk, mate, and you're going to draw out a little bit of spending money. I stared at the blade that filled my entire vision and made a decision. Afterwards, Walking back to the main road, I nervously brushed myself down to check I didn't have anything on me from the encounter. I stood briefly under the street lamp and examined my clothes for blood. On inspection, I saw that the jacket cuff on my right arm was splattered with something. I started to worry and checked my body to see if I wasn't injured or bleeding. After a few checks, I realised it wasn't mine. When I saw the knife a few moments ago, it felt... Suddenly, like, all my senses were prickling like pins and needles. 
I grabbed his hand so quick he was still smiling at me from his last quip. I bent the arm around so smoothly I didn't even feel the pressure before I heard the snap. The younger man dropped slowly while screaming and the knife fell to the floor. I kicked it away into the darkness. The older man rushed towards me with his whole body weight, a loud, low sound venting from his open mouth. I stepped back low, then brought my left hand up fast and hard into his chin, hearing a loud thud of his jaws crashing together. Then he fell down quickly without any sound. I looked at both figures on the ground, one silent, one writhing, and walked slowly back to the main road. I've never been in the fight before, not even at school. As I said, I always faded into the background. I've never studied any defence classes or taken any martial arts lessons. I knew, though, exactly what to do back then. Everything was so clear, almost instinctive. I could tell in advance what moves they were going to make. I knew the older man was trying to pin me to the floor, and I just counted him. I didn't even break a sweat until it was over. I hovered at the junction of the main road, unsure about what to do next. Looking back in the darkness, I could faintly see the two figures lying on the floor. I wondered about just leaving them there and they're not doing anything. No one saw me, I thought, and no one would know. I made a decision and ran back home. When I was in the flat, I sat down on the sofa and began to worry. What if I killed the older man? He wasn't moving when I left him. I picked up the phone and dialed the emergency services and called for an ambulance at the location of the fight. I lied, telling the operator that I heard a disturbance come from the road while walking my dog and yes, I would like to remain anonymous. I put down the phone, slightly relieved, and looked at the clock on the TV which read 5.45. I still wasn't at all tired. Later on at work, I was very nervous. The two men lying on the floor, one still, one writhing in agony, kept looping in my mind. I checked the news on the internet every 15 minutes all morning long and was rewarded with nothing. Only after lunch, a small paragraph appeared in the local West London news site. Two men are in the Royal Free Hospital with severe injuries after a gang fight in Hollows Lane, West Ealing, in the early hours of this morning. David Chambers, 19, had his arm broken in what he described as an old-school turf war. He went on to describe how he and his friend Alan Bryant were attacked while going home by seven black men with baseball bats. When asked about the motivation for the attack, David said, It's a gang thing. Alan Bryant, 24, is in intensive care with serious head injuries, but is described as in a stable condition. People urged local residents to come forward to help them with their investigations. I felt sick. I read the paragraph on the website again and again till my head hurt. I'd relaxed a bit though, as there was no mention of my involvement whatsoever and this David character had lied about the event for some reason. I was in the clear. I'd nearly killed someone, but I was alright, apart from the lack of sleep. I drifted through work for the rest of the day and left around half five to hurry home. I had a plan. I was never much of a drinker. From an early age, I couldn't handle endless pints of gassy, cheap lager like other friends. I drank whiskey and orange for a while, because that's what I thought Crockett drunk on Miami Vice. It was horrible, of course, and I never drank whiskey again. I like a small glass of dry white wine, but any more than two glasses, I get irritable and have to go to bed. <laughs> 
So the moment I got home after work, I went to the fridge and poured myself a glass of wine that had been in there for about two weeks. I downed the wine almost in one and felt a bit giddy, so I poured another. Retiring to the sofa with a glass of wine in hand, I put the TV on, ready to fall asleep into the hazy oblivion of drunkenness. Two hours later, I'm in a bar on my third bottle of white wine. After the second glass at home, it became clear that I wasn't going to sleep, so I poured out another and drank that in one. When the bottle was empty, I walked out to the off-license to get another, but found myself half an hour later in Notting Hill. I was drunk. I found the nearest decent-looking establishment and went to do some serious drinking. I sat in the first bar, drinking my second bottle of wine, with a man who talked to me about fly fishing and then told me that he would like to suck me off in the toilets. I eyed the room and realised what type of bar I was in. Said I was very flattered, made my apologies and then left. I don't get out much. The next bar was an old pub that had been given a gastro makeover. I ordered a bottle of wine that was six times the price of the one for my local Safeway, but I didn't care that much because I was very fuddled. I got talking to a group of teenage boys and girls who liked me, I think, but I was buying all the drinks. My credit cards made an appearance at this point. An hour or two later, I was in a small dance room with even younger people and music that I just didn't understand. The beat, though, was soothing and seemed to stop me falling over. Another hour passed and I was outside in the rain but really thirsty. I brought a bottle of water from an all-night shop and walked to Hyde Park to have a sit down. Getting there a bit later, after a lot of zigzagging, I looked at my watch. It was half past three. I still wasn't tired. The gates to the park were closed and I was just about to turn around again when my drunken self took over. I looked up at the towering memorial gates that stood at over 40 foot tall. Then I jumped. I cleared them in one bound, landing cleanly on the other side, slowly turning back around to contemplate what I'd just done. Nausea hit me and very quickly I was on the floor vomiting. What is happening? ran through my head as I was being sick. How did I do that? Jesus! More thoughts as the sick just kept on coming. After a long while, I lay on the floor, hangover beginning, wondering what I was to do next. I made a decision. So at five in the morning, when the park keeper opened the gates, I bid him, good morning, and left Hyde Park with him shouting threats after me. I got in the tube at Green Park and went two stops down to Waterloo, walked across the embankment and straight into the A&E department of Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital. I feel unusual, I said to the receptionist. The receptionist didn't seem to be impressed with my self-diagnosis until I told her I hadn't slept for three days. I was soon talking to a charge nurse and she asked me a few routine questions, but I must have looked awful. Unwashed, grass stains on my clothes and smelling the sick. She rushed me onto a bed in one of the hospital bays. After an hour, a female doctor came into the room examining some paperwork. You seem to have trouble sleeping, is that right? The doctor said without looking up. Yes, I, I haven't slept for three days, I said. Three nights, she said, still reading the notes. No, no, three, three days. It's been over 72 hours now without any sleep. I said, my voice getting higher as I got more anxious. How are you feeling? What, what do you mean? Well, 
apart from the tiredness, are you fe- I'm not tired! I corrected her. For the first time, she looked up from her notes. I'm sorry. I'm not tired at all. In fact, I feel great. But surprising things are happening to me. What things? She said, concerned now. I looked down at my hands, deciding how honest I should be. I can jump really high. Her expression didn't change, so I carried on. My reactions have become extraordinarily quick, and I think I'm experiencing some kind of super strength. There was a long pause when the doctor looked straight into my eyes, searching for something. Then she smiled. Right, let's have a look at you. She then proceeded to take my pulse, blood pressure, as well as all the standard tests, including blood and urine. After about an hour and a half, she wrote some notes into the folder and, and sat down on the edge of the bed. OK, you're in pretty good shape from what I can tell. Your vitals are all good and you, you don't show any of the normal signs of lack of sleep. I, I know, I feel the best I've ever been, I said. She laughed at this, but in a slightly detached way. How long have you thought you had powers? She asked softly. What do you mean powers? I asked, alarm bells going off. Well, super strength, super speed. Jumping a tall building in one single leap. <laughs> I've watched X-Men, great film, she said, nodding. It was a park gate, not a tall building. I said, my voice a, a bit too loud. Calm down, John, she said. I'm calm, OK? I continued, a bit too excited. I, I wasn't saying anything about superpowers. No, no, that's just crazy. It's just side effects from the lack of sleep, right? I said. John, the side effects from lack of sleep are tremors, slurred speech, slow reaction times, hypertension, and eventually heart disease. Not the ability to jump large gates. She said, still smiling that smile. Are you sure you just haven't forgotten that you've been sleeping? She continued, the voice getting a little bit more condescending. No way. Fucking hell, how would I forget? Jesus! I shouted, alerting a male nurse to open the curtain to the bay and stick his head in. It's all right, Frank, she said to the nurse. Right, John, I'm going to go and speak to one of my colleagues. And I'll be right back, OK? I nodded, minutely in response. Try to get a bit of rest, yes? She said, and left the bay. I lay down on the bed, my heart going like a train. This isn't good, I thought. This isn't good. I could hear vaguely the doctor having a whispered conversation with Frank, the male nurse, on the other side of the room. I was nervous. I really wanted to hear what they were saying in something extraordinary happened. The voices appeared in my head, not sounds, but like subtitles on a film. I could read every word they were saying. Nurse, what do you want me to do with him? Doctor, give Lakeside a ring. He needs a psychiatric assessment, not a medical. He's perfectly healthy. Sticks to high heaven, though. Nurse, laughs. Doctor, laughs. Nurse, what are you doing later? Doctor, coy, what are you doing? Nurse, sexy, being intimate with you. 
I shook my head quickly, which seemed to dispel the words from my mind. I got up from the bed, peeked around the curtains, checked the coast was clear, then left the hospital. Two weeks later, and 17 further days without sleep, I was getting used to my new life. The main problem about not sleeping was firstly boredom. You got 24 hours to plan rather than the normal 16 to 18. People are always saying there's not enough time in the day. Yes, there is. There's plenty. You spend a lot of your day waking up from sleep, getting ready for the day ahead. Then, a lot of the time is spent feeling tired, relaxing and getting ready to sleep. Imagine not having to prepare for any of that. In the early days, I, I kept forgetting to shower and clean my teeth because these were the things I always did at the end and the start of the day. A normal day consists of working, which is the peak of what your mind and body can achieve. Then you slow down into a relaxed mode, watching TV, going for a drink, reading until you fall into sleep. I was now always completely at the peak. I couldn't watch TV anymore or relax with a book because my whole being felt tightly sprung, ready for action. I would eat though. God, I ate. Probably nine to 10,000 calories a day. It's a lot of work, but the hunger was at times excruciating and had to be obeyed. Mostly, the big change for me was that seconds were like minutes, minutes like hours and hours like days. In the day, I would work at my job, achieving more in a week than I had all year. Colleagues and bosses were all noticing my new work rate and telling me to slow down because I was showing them up. Some were half-joking and some were deadly serious. After finishing work, I would eat, of course, and then exercise. I would run 26 miles a night across the streets of London in an hour and a half. At the end of that, I wasn't, of course, tired and only slightly out of breath. I would then go to the pubs, bars or restaurants and watch. I didn't drink as much as I did on that night in Notting Hill. No, some nights I didn't drink at all. I would like to watch people, rarely get into conversations. I would watch them to see if they noticed me. I would use a subtitle skill to sneak in and out of dialogues between lovers, friends and enemies. I could also, once again, blend into their background, but with a lot more effectiveness than before. People would bump into me and look shocked that something was actually there. I would sometimes have to ask bar staff at least five times for a drink before they even saw me there, and then they would apologise by walking away, shaking their heads in disbelief. I was becoming a ghost. At work, at my desk, colleagues would ask right in front of me when I was coming into work next. I would tap them on the shoulder and make them jump out of their skin. Another power, as a doctor put so well, I developed around the 11th day was the ability to stop time for one second only. I was reading the minds of two men across the road near home. It was talking about starting a boxing school in Wapping when a cyclist who was on the pavement headed straight towards me. I turned around, the bike nearly on me, then everything stopped. The bike, the cars, the people, the birds and all the clouds, all frozen. I instinctively stepped out of the way and the world breathed again. Twat! The cyclist shouted at me as he went flying off down the road. I've only used that power that one time because it frightens me a bit. What happens if it doesn't unfreeze? Then the hours would really drag. Also, I get a sense from somewhere that it's a last chance emergency power because after I'd used it, my whole body was riddled with pains for the rest of the day. At night, 
When the pubs close, it's the worst of times for me. I can't sit at home waiting for dawn to arrive, so, like that second night, I just walk the streets. I stand in shadows watching the drunk and the restless prowl. I travel down to Soho because there is always more contact. After about 3am, even Soho quietens down, and you're just left with the mad and homeless. They could see me, though. I could see their eyes nervously catch mine and take fright. They wouldn't go near me or make any connection, avoiding me at all costs as I watched from the sidelines. So, two weeks after Sleep Zero, I was in Soho Square around four in the morning watching an old homeless man have a conversation with an imaginary dog called Dennis, who apparently was trying to kill him. Three men in suits walked past me, not seeing me of course, and headed over to the old man. They were drunk from a night out, I could tell, so I zoned in on the conversation and the subtitles came fast. Man one, you're right, granddad. Old man, don't crowd me, Dennis. Man two, I'm not Dennis, mate. Man three, who the fuck is Dennis? Old man, trying to smother me, fucking cunt. Man one, laugh. Man two, you calling me a cunt? Old man, he doesn't understand me, he just needs a collar. Man three, you need a collar and a straitjacket. Man one, laughs. Man two, are you calling me a cunt? Old man, I'll kill you, capital letters. The old man screamed this last sentence at the men, but it was really to the elusive Dennis. The second man instantly smashed the old man's face with his fist, knocking him to the floor. The other two men started to kick him quickly and hard on the ground. The old man was screaming his dog's name as a beating carried on. I was very quick, covering over 100 metres in less than four seconds. I lifted the man who threw the punch into the air about ten feet, over the square gates where he landed in the gardens with a thud. The other two men stopped kicking the old man and stared at me in alarm. Picking both of them up by the throats, I looked at them with a real menace to my voice. In a lower register that reverberated, I said, Run! Dropping them both to the floor, they scrambled to their feet and ran in the direction of Tottenham Court Road. I then jumped the Soho Square gates, landing next to the man I had thrown. Straight away I could see both legs were broken as they were bent in opposite directions. The man was screaming in agony, and as he saw me, the screams turned to screams of fear. Let me live! Please, let me live! He pleaded. I stood slightly in the shadows, and felt my voice hit the lower register again. Don't know one about me, and I won't hunt you down. I said, while my other rational side was shouting, What are you doing? The man nodded, and I jumped away back to the old man and helped him up from the ground. He was cut around the face, seemed to be concussed, but okay. Dennis? He said, his eyes looking directly into mine. No, I'm something else. I said, and ran off into an alleyway leading to Charing Cross Road. Out of sight, I rang for an ambulance on my mobile phone and waited in the shadows until they arrived. I thought about what had just happened and realised I was a lot calmer than the last violent event. I certainly wasn't sick. I wish I hadn't hurt the man so much, but at least I hadn't killed him. It was their fault. They started it and they must pay the price, part of me was shouting. What was I turning into? Why was I putting in a voice, spurting out such dramatic claptrap? No, I'm something else. It was terrible, I thought. Maybe I need to hire a writer for the next time. And there it was. The next 
time. I knew what I was doing at night now. I knew what I was meant to do. I knew that I needed darker clothes and a long coat. So, 44 days later, here I am. I've stopped six muggings, three robberies, two knife attacks, one rape and a possible murder. I'm hurting them less as well, learning to control the powers. I've only put two in intensive care, which is a pretty good ratio, I think. I still work in the day at my job. Good to have a good alibi, I think. Articles in papers are written about me, and on YouTube, they have some grainy footage of me jumping over two cars. But you can't actually see my face. <laughs> they are calling me the Frogman, which I think sounds bloody awful, but beggars can't be choosers. It's quite catchy. Had a strange experience last night. I was in Baker Street by the entrance to Regent's Park because I heard about a potential rapist on the move. A figure, dressed in a white suit and coat, came straight up to me. This was really strange because by then, no one could hardly see me anymore, unless I wanted them to. Hello, friend. Can you help me? He said. But I wasn't sure it was a he. I didn't respond, but carried on scanning the crowds for trouble. He carried on. Hello? Is anybody there? It waved its hand in front of my face. I can hear you, I said, using my semi-famous register, waiting for the stranger to run. Good. I need your help, it said cheerfully. I don't think I can help you in any way, I replied. Oh, is that right? Well, I, I just need you to use your mind-tuner thing you do and search for someone I'm looking for, OK? It said, still quite cheerfully. I stopped and stared at the figure, carefully smiling at me. I was lost for words. It carried on. It's a bit complicated because you need to pick up one person having a conversation with themselves. If you hear the word ASAG being used, that's the one I'm looking for. That's A-S-A-G, ASAG. Or anything about heaven, hell, demons, angels, OK? How, how do you know what I can do? I asked in a state of shock, my normal voice arriving back. Has anyone talked to you about what it is you do? It asked. No, I replied. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right, OK, OK, look, I'll give you a quick rundown. You work for me or others like me. You are a protector. There's a few of you scattered around. Some are good, some are bad. You have powers. And with that power, you have great... Look, I haven't got time for this. Are you sure no one's briefed you? It said, looking at its watch. No, I said, even more confused. This is fucking useless. Look, let me find out who your line manager is. It disappeared. I looked around nervously, and then a couple of seconds later, the figure reappeared again. OK, your line manager's me. Sorry about that, but I've been a bit distracted. How are you getting on? It looked at me. Um, good, I, I think. I'm helping people, I think, I replied, uncertainly. Good for you, good for you. Carry on. And... Don't let people know who you are or what you can do, for God's sake. That's a fucking nightmare, believe me. Wear a mask or a hat. He pulled out a card from its long coat and gave it to me. 
I looked at it, and it had the word Melek written in a gothic font. Now, just hold the card up in the air and say my name if you find Asag. I'll come straight away. You might have trouble getting the signal, so just wave it around a bit or, or go up really high. It's a piece of shit. If that fails, just go into a pub or bar and ask around for me. Someone will get in touch. Right, you seem to be on top of things. I'm off. It disappeared, leaving me holding the card in my hand and totally lost. I took a breath, put the card into my pocket and resumed my duties. I've got a mask now. A green one with frog's legs tastefully drawn and printed down the side of the words, I am Frogman. I wore it for a couple of nights, but it was a bit itchy. So now I just wear a hoodie. <laughs>